You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Bainer Roberts. Our current serial is of knives and night blooms. I'm going to do things a little bit differently over the next month, uh, largely because you'll be surprised to hear I have slightly bitten off more than I can chew with my current writing and working projects. So I'm trying to create a little bit of extra space and buffer for myself where I can. So I'm going to split the longer chapters. Uh, As it turns out, writing what's turning into potentially a novel-length serial uh, is taking up a lot of my time when I need to be working on other things too. So uh, for the next couple of weeks, I'll be splitting the chapters. And actually, the chapters are getting a little bit shorter as well uh, after that. So because apparently my writing brain was self-regulating. So, uh, yes, we'll be doing that. Slightly shorter chapters and episodes for the next few weeks. Um, Meanwhile, I am working very busily on my current Kickstarter. Uh, If you search under uh, Kickstarter, either with my name, Tansy Mayna Roberts, or Time of the Cat, it should show up. Very excited about this um, cosy time travel, quirky novel that... Apparently people are very enthusiastic about. I've raised over 425% of the original goal, which is very exciting. But I've decided to go for a more ambitious goal now to see if I can um, see if I can raise the funds to do an audiobook, like a really fancy high-end, properly produced audiobook, um, which I think would be marvellous with this book, especially if I can afford two narrators. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. Speaking of audiobooks, the other thing that's been low-key going on in my writing and publishing life over the last month or two has been the recording of the proper professionally produced audiobook of the first collection of the Teacup Magic novellas. So that is Tea and Sympathetic Magic, The Frost Fair Affair and Spellcracker's Honeymoon, Uh, Produced by Audio Factory and read by the amazing Emma Newman. Uh, She's just so English. (laughs) It's exactly the tone that I wanted for these books. I've been so delighted listening through the files. Uh, Her accents are fabulous. I didn't always give her a lot to work with other than posh, which is something that I maybe need to examine about myself with these books. Um... (laughs) But no, it was so great. I'm excited to hopefully do the whole thing all over again with books three to six next year. But in the meantime, the uh, proper, proper audiobook of uh, Teacup Magic. Now, I know some of you have listened to those stories here on the podcast, and I am delighted if you have enjoyed them. Uh, but this version is going to be so much better for those of you who love audiobooks. Uh, It will be for sale through all the audiobook platforms, though I'm going to make it exclusive through my website for the first month or so. So I'm going to look at releasing that sometime in June. Highly recommend you pick it up. It's so good. Ah, um, obviously the writing. I was finding it very entertaining. There's something about her voice though. Oh my goodness. I'm never quite going to be able to write Neem again without uh, hearing it in the voice of the terribly English Emma Newman. Um, Yeah, so that's a project I'm very excited about. Uh, It's come to a head with 
very minor work from me, actually, which is also what I like about a project. <laughs> Outsourcing. So great. So that's what I've been working on. Uh, check out my Kickstarter. I'll let you know when the audiobook is available. Uh, in the meantime, we do continue with Of Knives and Night Blooms. Chapter 10. A. <laughs> Through the Whispers. There were many reasons to hate travelling on the River Divine, as far as Icarus was concerned. The Eye of the Basilisk was high on his list. He'd never run the Basilisk with powerful mages on board before, and it did not improve the experience. Calix was still recovering from the magical surges, which had screwed with the pain potions she was still taking after her visit to the Temple of Many Knives. For a few moments there, when the raw magic of the basilisk overwhelmed her, it had felt to Icarus as if those threads tying the crew and priests to her service might shake the whole ship apart. She'd calmed it down in the end, settled the ship without too much damage, but it took a lot out of her. As for the daughter... Nimue was quiet, the little imp, shaken after her antics almost killed them all. She hadn't gone over the side, at least, despite the river's best attempts to take her. Dio got the credit for that. Dio, who was still unconscious, hours after the drama at the Eye of the Basilisk. The young man was laid out in the bed that the four prisoners still shared, though rarely all at the same time. Nimue, frightened and guilty, and simultaneously avoiding her mother, sat at Dio's bedside, waiting for him to wake up. Icarus was not hovering at Dio's bedside, but he had spent most of the day in this damned cabin, regardless, idly keeping an eye on matters, in case anyone grew wings again or anything similarly absurd. Some time before the light of day faded outside, the captain of the vessel came to speak to him. Icarus was damned if he knew why he was being treated as the leader of this expedition, while Calix was asleep in her own cabin. But somehow this had been decided over his head and behind his back. If we keep going, we'll be at the whispers by dusk, reported the captain. Icarus gave him a pained expression. He had lived more than fifty years in this God-touched country, without bothering to learn most of the secrets of this river. He didn't remember anything in particular about the whispers. Forest on both sides, he knew that much. Weeping willows all the way. Quiet enough last time he'd come through. And that means, he asked, rather than guessing what the problem might be. No nightlock on this side, said the captain. Sailing through the whispers overnight, it's not unusual. The marsh grass is so thin, no one gets through this section at speed. So we might as well be sleeping as we go, Icarus completed. Exactly, sir. But it's your decision. We can anchor and wait till morning if you don't mind further delays. It should be Calix's decision, but Icarus was not going to wake her up now. Apart from anything else, he was still unable to ask her a direct question. No, he was going to make the call on her behalf. Worst of all, the magic compulsion was sunk so deep in him now, 
He actually wants to do a good job. What aren't you telling me? He asked. The last thing he wanted tonight was more surprises. The whispers can be busy, the captain said reluctantly. With ships? A long pause. No, he didn't mean ships. Icarus dredged up what memories of river tales he had reluctantly picked up over the years. There were ballads about the whispers, weren't there? Sappy ones, by the handful. Narades? Nyads. He never could remember the difference between them. Both, sir, said the captain. The whispers is where the fresh water meets seawater. Things can get a bit interesting. Brilliant, Icarus groaned. Go on, then. Better we do this when most of your men are asleep in their hammocks. My thoughts exactly, agreed the captain, and made his way out. He didn't ask my opinion, Nimaway said, from where she was tucked into the only chair in the cabin. Did you want to make the decision? Icarus asked her. He refrained from calling her child, but thought it very loudly. Not especially, she muttered. Well then. The two of them both looked at Dio. By all appearance, he was sleeping peacefully. Icarus had tried all manner of methods to wake him, including some he was not proud of. And still the young man slept. Do you think he'll die? Nimue asked. Not of this, said Icarus. He wasn't trying to be kind. He felt certain. Believe me, Dio Taurus is capable of surviving far more risky scrapes than accidentally grabbing hold of a river-infused baby mage with more power than she knows how to handle. Nimue huffed quietly. Icarus could only hope he had offended her enough to shut her up for a while. He's marked by death, she said a few moments later. The word reverberated through his skin. Most people knew better than to say it aloud in the presence of a priest of the Black Raven. It wasn't that they were in denial about what they did or what their god represented. It was more that the concept was too large, too sacred important, to be contained in such a weak and unimportant thing. As a word. Calix said it deliberately all the time, trying to get under his skin. He didn't like to think about that too closely. Dio doesn't have a mark, Icarus said. Except the one your mother put on him. Some people are born that way. He had had done his research on the young man, as much as he could, before securing his room at the tea house. As the good-looking nephew of the proprietor, Dio had been subject to much speculation and gossip among the kitchen hands, maids, and even some of the regular customers. A casual bed partner or two had offered surprisingly enthusiastic testimony. Not Dio, said Nimue. The captain. His sleeves were rolled up and I saw the scythe on his forearm. It's lighter than the one on your hand. Icarus hadn't even noticed. No wonder the man treated him and the others with such deference. He's not one of us, not a priest. I didn't imagine so. What does it mean? He sighed. Had her mother given her no preparation for moving to a new country with its customs and traditions? 
What do you know of our gods? You have five of the sky, Nimue recited, as if she'd learned this at least from a book that knew what it was talking about. The divine king is sixth. The others are long lost, no longer worshipped. Priests are marked from birth. No, Icarus interrupted. Nine-tenths of our population are marked from birth. The gods choose their favourites early. Most people go about their lives knowing which god liked them best, and no more than that. When it comes to priests and mystics and knights, we choose to offer a higher service to the god that chose us. A knowing choice. So, the captain was chosen by the Black Raven, Nimue said quietly, but he did not choose to become a priest. Few receive the sacred calling. Our captain would pay the tithes to the raven, as well as the divine king. If he felt the need to wish for healing or creativity or martial skill or fertility, he might leave offerings at another god's temple too. We are all free to choose. Choice in service was a sacred tenet. It meant everything to Icarus. Nimue tilted her head. That's why you're so angry at my mother. She took your service without giving you a choice in the matter? One of the reasons. Dio moaned gently. Don't kill anyone, he murmured. Icarus was not willing to let anyone, even this strange wide-eyed child, know how relieved he was that the lad was waking up. No promises, he said abruptly, leaning over the bed. Nimue laughed and then looked horrified at herself. That's not funny. Icarus raised his eyebrows. It's a bit funny. Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week. Don't forget to check out my Kickstarter.